0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news.
1: Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 for for Taiwan This Week.
0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentators Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. And tonight we'll be discussing KMT Chairman Eric Ju’s on, off and off again delayed trip to the United States as he's also eyeing a trip to Japan. Talk of a Taiwan model for lifting or shortening quarantine regulations for overseas arrivals and controversy surrounding a skin suit which was worn by a Taiwan athlete who's in Beijing competing in the Winter Olympics. But we'll begin with a cabinet on Tuesday of this week announcing that the government will be lifting the ban on imports of Japanese food and agricultural products from five prefectures affected by the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster by the end of this month. The ban has been in place for 11 years and cabinet spokesman Law Bing Chung told reporters that at a glitzy press conference that the government will continue to insist on ensuring food safety and he also confirmed that food imports from Fukushima and its neighbouring areas pose no risk. Law cited six assessment reports conducted or commissioned by the government from between 2016 and 2020 for that statement, but he also added that certificates of origin and radiation inspection certificates will also be required for some items. Now, according to law, the lifting of the ban will remove unfair trade barriers against Japan and be helpful to the country's application to join the Tokyo-led Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Law's comments were echoed by Taiwan's top trade negotiator, John Dung, who, speaking at the same press conference, Said that the lifting of the ban will be very helpful to Taiwan's bid to join the transnational trade bloc. Now, the Ministry of Health has laid out a series of regulations that it says will be introduced prior to the lifting of the ban, and according to the Health Ministry, the new regulations will be based on the Act governing food safety and sanitation. Meanwhile, the Atomic Energy Council said that it plans to step up its ability to screen imported food products from radioactive residue by collaborating with domestic laboratories. Now, according to the Council, it will significantly increase its food inspection capacity ahead of the lifting of the import ban and it plans to collaborate with seven radiation testing laboratories to boost its food inspection capacity now japan's top envoy to taiwan also chimed in on the situation saying that he welcomed the government's decision to end the ban on imports of food from areas affected by the fukushima nuclear disaster and according to the head of the japan taiwan exchange association He was gratified when he heard that Taiwan will be adjusting the 11-year ban, and he's also stressing that Tokyo will never sell Taipei products that pose health risks. So, Brian, they finally did it. We thought they were going to do it. We all knew they were going to do it one day, and they finally did it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, so there's one of speculation ahead of time as to whether the Thai administration was finally going to move to do this, to lift this ban. Uh, what is interesting, I think, though, is the Tide administration doing it at this juncture after the referendum in December. The Thai Administration is in a strong position at present vis-a-vis the KMT, and so that's why it has decided to move forward with this, in the sense that it believes that it can shrug off opposition or backlash, which would inevitably happen with the lifting of the ban, uh, because of the fact that food imports from Fukushima have been controversial for a very long time. But now in the hopes of cementing stronger trade relations with japan in the hope this leads to stronger economic uh, political relations that might increase incentive for japan to defend taiwan against let's say this threat of chinese invasion or allow it to join the cptpp the taiwan nation has decided to move with this
0: and ross of course lots been said about the trade pact and taiwan being able to join it if it does this but then there's been lots of naysayers in recent months saying that's probably not going to be the case
1: well it's not going to happen soon it's a negotiation process, just like uh, any other trade agreement, whether a bilateral one, or in this case, a multilateral one, the existing members of the CPTPP are not jumping for joy as, as, a, as a group because of this decision. And they're certainly not saying we're going to issue the paperwork uh, immediately for Taiwan to become a member to accede to the CPTPP. It's just not going to happen that fast. We still have to see uh, what other countries have uh, their own bilateral concerns, uh, whether it's tariffs or other issues that they're going to raise in this negotiation. And then Taiwan, Again, it's going to have to negotiate with those countries. So this is a unilateral decision It makes Japan happy. Uh, I think there's been a a dreadful amount of misreporting uh, in Mandarin as well as English about the state of play, where you see headlines saying uh, country X, whether it's uh, Japan or other countries, support Taiwan's entry into CPTV. What they mean is they support Taiwan's application, and and they are... uh, Eager, enthusiastic uh, to discuss and negotiate with Taiwan and enter that process, but again, it's it's a negotiation, it's a process, it's going to take a long time. Uh, But but just to respond a bit to to Brian's comments, uh, this is of course this is very very similar to the pork, uh, ractopamine pork, and we should keep in mind that uh, the science really didn't change the, the the scientific analysis or the health safety risk analysis to consumers, that, that didn't change. Uh, the food hasn't become l- less nuclear in the past few weeks or months or, or a year. Uh, Taiwan was was imposing a, a standard that was inconsistent with what most countries, not all, but most countries ha- uh, require uh, for food imports, whether it was the, the pork with ractopamine or w- with food from the Fukushima region. And uh, the, the Taiwan Thai government, they could have done this in their first term. They waited safely until their second term and uh, uh, sooner it'll be midway through the second term
2: to make this decision. It, it's not an act of political bravery. Yeah, I think that's right. And so uh, the LDP in Japan has been pushing for, for example, promoting Fukushima tourism and agriculture for some time. Uh, If you ever made a trip to Japan the past few years before COVID, for example, that's what you would be greeted with at the airport in Tokyo. Someone asking you if you feel food from Fukushima is safe and if you're willing to travel there for tourism, etc. And so this will make Japan happy. But Japan is not the only player in the CPTPP, which is, after all, a multilateral trade bloc. And so, particularly, I think uh, something that will raise a stumbling block for Taiwan is that China has its own application to the CPTPP. The CPTPP, which is a mouthful, was originally formed as the TPP under American auspices with the precise notion of cementing ties between the U.S. and the Asia-Pacific, but it was designed to keep China out. However, China, and I think uh, reflecting its, its uh, what it views a stronger position at present, is now seeking to emperor the CPTPP. And so, Taiwan or China, at entrance by one or the other, would probably be mutually exclusive. And so I think that is the uh, big question here. However, Tsai will be put in position to strengthen relations with Japan, potentially, if, uh, if this goes through and she's able to overcome domestic political opposition. Uh, the question also is if Japan will reward Tsai for this. I mean, I think also the ball's in their court regarding this.
0: And Ross, do you think the government is doing a good job, has done a good job, will do a good job in allaying public concern about this food?
1: In a way, they don't really have to, because as we discussed, they already are in a position of political strength. Uh, consumers probably will not be enthusiastic about buying uh, food products uh, from Fukushima in, in, the, in the short term or, or the midterm. And probably in the long term, uh, people will slowly or even quickly forget about this issue. Uh, and uh, it, it just won't be a topic of discussion. It was clearly a matter of I guess you'd say national pride, for lack of a better description, for, for Japan. Uh, look, we, we all eat you know, who knows how much poison every day, no matter whether it's fresh food that's grown in poisoned uh, ground, uh, whether it's domestic or imported. Uh, the packaged foods we eat are dreadful. Uh, a lot of the beverages we imbibe are just as dreadful. Uh, I think over time this issue will, will slowly go away.
0: Now, while the government was patting itself on the back and Japan's top envoy here was thanking them, the KMT was, well, rather miffed at the lifting of the food import ban, with party chairman Eric Jew slamming the government's decision, arguing that it disregarded democracy. Now, according to Jew, the DPP has no right to ignore the results of a 2018 referendum to lift the ban, as no political parties are entitled to scrap the results of that ballot, in which 78% voted in favour of maintaining the restrictions. And he went on to say that the KMT he will fight the policy in the Legislative UN and work with local governments and councils to help safeguard public health. Former President Ma ying also blasted the government, saying Taiwan voted to keep the ban three years ago in a referendum and any changes should only be made following another referendum. KMT lawmaker Lai Shua-bao said that only three cities currently have the equipment needed to test for radioactivity, meaning the rest will have to purchase the equipment, while Ross Jiao Shao-kang found the nearest microphone and lost his mind
1: on the matter. Well, why would cities need to test for this? I mean, that is a bit ridiculous. Uh, there, there's no reason to uh, doubt the accuracy of of the central government's efforts, uh, regardless of which agency I mean, the Atomic Regulator or the Customs and Food uh, Regulators that normally inspect imports of food. Uh, it would just be overkill for. For uh, municipal governments to also test for this, uh, but but there's little the Dong could do. The, the, their their legislative minority cannot bring really bring any action to stop this, and unfortunately, as as a matter of of law, not politics, but as a matter of law, it's just wrong because the referendum law does allow after two years for the government to basically ignore the referendum. It's it was a sloppy way to write the referendum law. I guess we could blame the DPP majority uh, for that one, uh, but uh, that that's really what 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 the law allows for. So uh, it it certainly violates the spirit of the referendum on this issue in 2018. The, the referendum question did not ask the public if uh, it'll be okay for the government to ignore the results in of this referendum in three years, it just asked very directly about banning food from the Fukushima region and as you said, Gavin, the voters overwhelmingly voted uh, for a ban uh, but again uh, some people might call it a loophole but but the referendum law does allow the government to basically uh, pass a law that, that after a couple of years to that, that would be a, a, a would contrast or contradict the referendum result.
0: And what about the KMT's comeback, Ross? I mean, has he got a leg to stand on?
1: No, again, I mean, they have a a legislative minority. They're they're municipal governments that are under the control of a a Kuomintang municipal executive, whether it's a mayor or a county executive. Uh, they, they could try something similar to uh, what How Long Bing did so many years ago with with uh, U.S. beef when when the Ma administration allowed U.S. beef to enter uh, Taiwan. And you can impose try to impose some local restrictions and then have an argument between the central government and the local government. When the central government inevitably says you can't do that, or uh, the center of the local government will impose some some uh, uh, labeling requirement or some. Big decal and, and say so you have to big decal in the store window. You know, one of those nuclear symbols, right? One of those dangerous <laughs> symbols, like, which would only really scare consumers from going into the supermarket. Not that there's any risk, uh, anyway, uh, from, from some vegetables or fruit, uh, you know, emitting, uh, uh, you know, atomic energy. Uh, but, but I also saw the Gominak say they're going to try and bring some legislation to ensure that school meals. Don't include food from the Fukushima region. And I just gotta say, oh, please, come on. Okay, has anyone ever bought food from Japan, like fresh fruit or produce? I mean, you know how darn expensive it is. <laughs> and has anyone ever seen those school meals which have which come with a weird name like Yang or Wutan, right? Like, you know, like the, the healthy meal for kids? I, I don't know. I mean those things look a bit greasy to me. My point is. The cost of those meals, whatever it is, fifty NT, hundred NT, and there's probably some corruption involved that inflates the cost. <laughs> but but please, who's ever supplying the food for school kids meals is not buying Japanese fruit and vegetables. I think Ross has a point. I can't see the
2: expensive Japanese strawberries, Brian, appearing in these school meals. Yeah, I cannot. I think uh, maybe some luxurious school somewhere maybe that has food imported from Japan. But the Japanese <laughs> school? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Up <laughs> in <Tiananmen. laughs>
0: But I mean, Brian, I mean, the KMT is going to obviously come out. How Long Bing is obviously going to come out because he's the mm. man that Eric Jew has put up front to say this is bad. Mm. What do you think they're going to say?
2: Yeah, I think that it will be this allegation that the TIE administration is disregarding democracy. And this is increasingly a theme that the uh, KMT has leaned into regarding anything from party assets, the investigation to KMT party assets, uh, transitional justice, uh, the referendums, etc. And I think the TIE administration has shrugged off the referendums in the past before as well. For example, regarding gay marriage, that after results in 2018, it still legalized gay marriage through other means that were not those specifically specified in that referendum. And so I think this reflects that something about referendums themselves that governments can oftentimes, whether in Taiwan or other parts of the world, disregard the referendum or shrug it off or etc. if they have no political willpower to do that. And so that's what happened here. But I think the KMT has it's not a it's not a new card for the KMT to play to allege lack of democracy from the Tsai administration at this point. Uh, I think that. Leveraging for a referendum. I mean, the timing is interesting. It comes right after a referendum. So that would be some time away if they're pushing for another referendum. However, I think this can be a theme of the KMT going into election campaigning, that they will be using this issue as a way to target. Local DPP candidates claiming they support nuclear food, etc. Uh, one is seeing similarly regarding the pork issue, which is not over, in the sense that the KMT is still using this for local campaigning and bringing this out in order to attack local candidates, saying that they support U.S. pork. Even if this candidate in whatever local area has not necessarily made particularly strong stance on the, uh, on the, on the issue, actually.
0: And, Ross, do you think this, the Fukushima food, or the, the five prefecture food, as we should probably call it, will play an issue in this year's local elections? Well,
1: as I said earlier, I think this issue is going to go away after a while. If you think it's dangerous, you, you won't eat it. Uh, me, personally, and I, I don't think it's it's dangerous. I don't think the ractopamine pork is, is dangerous either. Uh, but, uh, as I also indicated... I think Japan fruit and vegetables are really way too expensive. I never buy them. Uh, so, so I, I think the, this issue just will not be an important one for the local elections.
0: But didn't the KMT would like to make it an important one?
1: I don't think they have the capability to. So, again, in in, in the legislature, they have limited ability to do anything uh, because the DPP enjoys a very large majority. And in the local government level, we, again, they'll, they'll have some decal requirement uh, in the store window that this store sells Fukushima prefecture uh, food and that that probably will just scare what, scare some consumers. It's not a winning issue, though. Somebody running for county executive of, of Nanto or Elon or mayor of Kaohsiung, what are they going to do? Go stand up at rallies and say, vote for me because our party is against food from the Fukushima region. <laughs> how, how does that get you votes? Well, that's likely to happen,
0: though, Brian, probably,
2: yes? I do think so. I do think so. I think if in the absence of other political issues attack on, the KMT may continue to focus on that. I mean It depends on what happens the next few months. Um, but it is kind of interesting in that way, in that this is used as a way to connect candidates to the DPP, and then trying to make any local election into a referendum of sorts on the Tsai administration as a whole and its national-level decisions, including the decision to lift this ban.
0: Moving on now, and we've talked in several weeks past about KMT Chairman Eric Jews' planned trip to the United States. But Ross, apparently it's been delayed once again.
1: Yeah, once again. Uh, there was talk that it would occur in January before New Year. Then there was talk that it would occur uh, shortly after New Year. Now there's talk that it will occur or may occur or... Definitely will occur uh, before the summer. Uh, you know, like any politician or leader of a political party who's who's involved in an election campaign, you know, he can't do this in in you know, August or September because the voting is in November for the local election. So you know, his window was was the first half of of this year. Uh, if I was the government and I wanted to be. Uh, nefarious. I, I would not lift the uh, quarantine requirement for inbound travelers just to make sure that when Ju does <laughs> go and person. returns, he'd have to quarantine for a few weeks and, and be off the campaign trail and you know, kind of add a commission or have to do everything from his, his quarantine hotel room. So, something to watch. Let's see how long they they keep those quarantine requirements on inbound travelers if they do it just to make things difficult for uh, Mr. Jew or Chairman Ju uh, when he returns from. The U.S., uh, but uh, yeah, this is almost like the the Fukushima food conversation, right? No, no one's going to remember come election time. You can't, you, you, again, to use my previous example, if somebody's running for county executive of Elon or Nanto or Mayor Gao Kaohsiung or Mayor of Taipei, uh, they, they can't stand up in front of a, a group of potential voters in those locations and say. Chairman Ju went to Washington in March, vote for us to be your local elected leader. It makes no sense.
0: Of course, Brian, this is becoming an, a bit of an embarrassment to keep delaying this trip and delaying this trip and delaying this trip. And Ross made a point that if the quarantine regulations are in place, do you think that's one of the reasons he's not
2: going? It's a good question, because I feel like the KMT is seemingly unable to commit to uh, a stronger stance, trying to build a stronger uh, relationship with the U.S. in the sense that there's much talk, then uh, it was scrapped, and then it was talk again about, for example, opening a an office in Washington, D.C. And then now there's talk of that, and it will happen, but then there's you know more questions about whether it will go through in a way that is effective. And now there are questions about if true will go to the U.S. in that sense uh, for this visit. And as we get closer to elections, the odds of him actually going decrease because he will be busy, increasingly busy with events on the campaign trail in Taiwan, which will take priority. And so I think that's one of those things that he should have just done it quickly or not done it at all, uh, made a firm stance on that and get it or just get it out of the way so he can focus on campaigning because that is probably what the KMT needs if it wishes to have electoral viability at present. Um, and so this is one of these things that's a little bit puzzling at present.
0: And of course, Ross, Eric Jew is apparently trying to go to Japan as well to a visit. Obviously, do you think he maybe should keep stum about the Fukushima food in the weeks before he heads there? Or maybe you should keep stim
1: about the Fukushima food anyway. I'm not sure if the listeners know what sh- "keep stum" means, but uh, <laughs> it, it, maybe you should have called him a few days ago, Gavin, and given him that advice because he's already uh, you know, taken a public position, as you discussed earlier in the program. Uh, so it's 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 just simply too late. So I don't know how he sells that to to people in Japan. It's just as difficult as as selling the the. Raptopamine pork because they'll say, well, we're not against U.S. pork. We're just against pork with ractobamine. It's like, okay, but a lot of the pork from U.S. producers that they would sell to Taiwan does have roptopamine. So which is it? Uh, so it's it's a very similar situation. Uh, but if he goes to Japan, I, I would expect a nearly identical thing occur, would occur that uh, will occur if and when he goes to Washington, D.C. There'll be a bunch of meetings with with government agencies and, and members of parliament in the case of Japan or members of Congress in the case of the United States. Uh, it'll be maybe two or three days. He'll run from one meeting to another. and. Uh, proclaim it was a great success. And then shortly thereafter, the DPP or the central government will will completely overwhelm with their own meetings or their own positive PR vis-a-vis the United States or Japan. And again, come come election time in November, this, this will be completely irrelevant.
2: So, yeah, so it is one of those things that's surprising, because the KMT has not focused on uh, relations with Japan. I mean, Chu is floating this idea from December onwards. And so he would go there and he would do meetings, but then what would be the result of that? What would be the lasting result of that? And I think that is a question, particularly regarding the KMT's anti-Chinese, anti-Japanese animus, uh, given its, its politics, and regarding the uh, issues regarding Fukushima pork. It'd be somewhat awkward for Eric Chu. And I think he would get backlash within his own party with the Deep Blue's resurgent uh, because of the fact that there's this animus against Japan. And so Brian, would,
1: sorry, did you say Fukushima pork? Is that some kind of mixed sorry. metaphor?
2: <laughs> sorry. That was a, that was a uh, mistake. Hey, there they must, they must be Fukushima pork. <laughs> there must be. Yeah, there must be. <laughs> we'll have to inspect it for there quite a well, whether Austrian it's Fukushima, actually. Is it
1: emitting atomic energy or, or the other kinds of uh, uh, emissions that usually <laughs> come from, from pork? <laughs>
0: And Ross, I mean, if you if you were the county chairman, and obviously you didn't have time for two trips abroad, where do you think he should focus on the U.S. or Japan?
1: I think he should focus on neither. Yeah, the the, the election in November is a local election, and I don't see this as relevant to helping the candidates. You know, as as I, as I mentioned earlier, as a leader of a political party who, who who's facing a, a an election campaign season, in this case, it happens to be a local election your value to the organization, your value to the candidates is to be out there campaigning. Raising money is important as well. Talking to voters. And you can't do that by being absent from Taiwan for, well, let's assume for discussion purposes, the quarantine is modified. So maybe it's 10 days, five days in a hotel, five days at home with the self-management, which means he can't go out and do mass events either. Uh, so if you go to the U.S. for a week because of travel time, you meet, you know, they're talking about going to Washington and go meet, you know, overseas communities in a couple of cities. So, okay, we'll say at least three cities, New York, LA, San Francisco, mm-hmm. kind of the typical ones. That, that, that's at least a week trip, right? At least. Right? It's a, I, mean, a, I mean, it's like 10 days, right? It's like a Friday to the following Sunday. Then you add in the quarantine. So he's, he's out of commission from, from local election activities for like T- almost three weeks. Uh, I, I just don't think that's a prudent decision as a leader of a political party. Brian, yeah. do you agree? I mean,
0: or do you think maybe Eric Duke could go to Japan? It'd be a lot quicker to go to Japan.
2: That that would be true. It'd be much closer. Uh, Though I do think the U.S. has value for the KMT because of the overseas communities that often do contribute finances and so forth. And so this is why, for example, both parties will make trips to the U.S. before uh, presidential elections, not only to meet with government officials, but also to raise money. And so I think then it would be a kind of cost-benefit calculation there, but it does seem like a a major use of his time, and it might make more sense to send a deputy, for example. And this is why Tsai, for example, does not always go herself to, for example, let's say, the Honduran presidential election, but sends a deputy, which in this case was William Lai. He could always send someone else. Yeah, but but nobody in the US or Japan is going to get excited.
1: First of all, I don't think they're going to get excited (laughs) about seeing the chairman of an opposition party that's not very popular. They're not going to get excited about seeing a deputy. And again, Mm -hmm. it's completely irrelevant for the local election.
2: You can't have a mayor candidate in Taoyuan
1: or shog saying, the deputy chairman of the Goldie Dog
2: just went to Congress. (laughs) It's irrelevant. Yeah, if he scraps the idea, I think he might do that to save face. That, you know, it's still carried on in some form.
0: Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And there was talk this week of the Central Epidemic Command Centre mulling the idea of loosening quarantine restrictions, which we touched on in the first half of the show. Now, reports are saying that officials are considering reducing the number of Entry quarantine days from 14 to 10 for new arrivals however it remains to be seen whether that will allow for a five plus five plan meaning people will have to quarantine at a hotel or government facility for five days and then spend the remaining five days quarantined at home now the health minister though hinted that the government is seeking to create a so-called Taiwan model in regards quarantine regulations in order to open up the island and also take into account people's livelihoods the economy and pandemic control measures now according to the health minister The new regulations could be introduced as early as next month unless there's a huge change in the coronavirus pandemic situation here. However, he's also warning that for any changes to be implemented, the percentage of people who have been vaccinated and received a booster shot will need to be taken into consideration. Now, the government has said that it hopes the booster shot rate can reach 50% by March. And as we're recording this show, the booster shot rate currently stands at 25.89% of the population. And the statements... Come calling for a shorter quarantine come amid calls nationally for quarantine to either be cut completely or cut down to size with National Taiwan University of College of Public Health Professor Tony Chen this week saying that the mandatory quarantine period for arrivals could be shortened without significantly increasing the infection risk. So Brian, a reduced quarantine. Obviously, they tried this in the run up to the Lunar New Year.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And so the question then is how to gradually loosen measures. Uh, So Taiwan model, I think this term gets trotted out quite a lot to apply to many things as a way of branding. Uh, In this case, it's often phrased by the Central Epidemic Command Center as a way to gradually loosen restrictions and to resume normality without letting cases explode. And negative examples then include uh, many Western countries, but also Hong Kong, which has seen an uptick to over 600 cases per day, for example. And so the effort is to avoid that. Uh, having gone through the lunar near then and seemingly weathered it, though the CECC says that it is still evaluating as to whether kiss have spread., uh, you know there are cases reported now usually every day with unknown source of infection., uh, but then I think there's this demand generally from Taiwan or globally to loosen restrictions because people are tired., uh, the world seems to want to get back to track after omicron. Uh, there's a lot of desire for Omicron to be the last variant and for this to be the thing that kind of ends this pandemic. Uh, but then how to get there, that's a, a better question. I mean, just uh, it's still up in the air. And so I think a lot of uh, political backlash and, and back and forth will follow regarding when any policy gets rolled out. Well, we knew this moment would come. You know, we've talked about this
1: you know, many times on the program that the, these, uh, in my opinion, overly or unnecessarily strict restrictions were not sustainable. It, it's, it, there is no magic to why Taiwan has had a low number of cases despite all that positive media attention over the course of 2020, 2021, at least the first half of 2021 before May. Uh, you know, Taiwan knows something about managing COVID. I mean, that was just uh, not true. Uh, the borders have been largely shut. There, there's very strict quarantine requirements that have been in place now for uh, just about two years. There's a very well-developed contact tracing mechanism that that works. Uh, But those are not measures that were acceptable to many other countries around the world. And uh, even less now, these kinds of restrictions are are unpopular. One only needs to look at the headlines and see protests in various parts of the world, Europe in recent months, and most famously in the last few days in Canada. Uh, So the, the authorities have had a long time to ponder this. and But clearly, they have a great reluctance. You know, nobody wants to be the decision maker on this. It's almost like the discussion about pork and food from the Fukushima uh, region, uh, that you want to make sure you have an, enough political capital that's not too close to an election to make these decisions. Unfortunately, in this case, we are getting close to an election. <laughs> and uh, uh, to go back to some of the points earlier in the program, maybe these decisions should have been made, you know, three or four months ago, then you have a chance to deal with any uh, political fallout. I'm talking about from the the perspective of the the central government and the DPP. Unfortunately, that wasn't feasible for them politically because they had to fight the referendum battle over the the fourth quarter of last year. So that was not the time to relax COVID restrictions. And then Omicron occurred as well. Uh, But uh, we do have this conflict now, the conflict of uh, just generally opening up, generally uh, living with, with uh, COVID uh, versus political fear of getting it wrong. Uh, and unfortunately, they don't seem prepared. And, and ultimately, though, we don't even need to talk about this simply because it, it comes down to the decision of one person, and that's President Sai. When will she uh, tell her team, now is the time, you know, just, just do it. Uh, and she clearly hasn't made
2: that decision yet.
1: Because Brian, of course, they've said the Omicron variant, the incubation time is a
0: far, far shorter than the other variants.
2: Mm, yeah, that's right. So there's that belief. Uh, I think also there is a sort of ideological debate which is forming between COVID-0 and uh, allowing the relaxation of measures at present. For example, the uh, claim that one often sees circulated in media, international media, that China is the only country with COVID-0. And until now, the CCC in Taiwan has also adhered to this approach. Uh, but I think then now there's talk of gradually losing restrictions. I can see, for example, this quote-unquote Taiwan model, whatever that means exactly, uh, being framed as, for example, COVID zero, except with democratic means, and then now gradually relaxing measures or something of that sort. And so we, I think-
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say that. We, we, we have to keep in mind that if these decisions are made, some relaxation on, on inbound quarantine, relaxation on uh, just generally foreign visitors, mm-hmm. um, there will be headlines that's, that, that are very different than the headlines today. That, that to me is not a cause for alarm, but the headlines won't be 20 or 30 cases of local transmission and, and 20 or 30 or less of, of mm. imported cases. Right? The headline is going to be 100 or 600 or 1,500 new cases
2: were reported, well, sorry, that caused both of you to go quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so I think actually that is uh, something I've been watching with great interest in the sense that, uh, for example, last May, uh, when the case took off, you know, the the sun explosion of cases, like there was like one day in which was like 80 cases. And that was like people were starting to get alarmed on that day. But recently, when we did have a case, a day of 80 cases, that did not create, I felt like, alarm on the same scale. And then we continued to have cases, let's say, between... Twenty and one hundred for a few days. I don't remember the exact numbers. So that is a sign to me that the public uh, uh, willingness to accept the number of cases has changed slightly. But I think then is a question of if the government is able to, you know, push the public in that direction of accepting hundreds of cases. For example, that's that is to be seen. Uh, not only to be seen. I, I think it's to be feared politically. Mm, I, I, that's clearly yeah. the
1: the calculation of of the government. Uh, and then we have this uh, just to. You know, further, it, it adds this point, we have this somewhat increasingly, I would say, farcical deci- uh, issue that the key man, other than President Xi, you know, health minister and also the, you know, the head of the CDC command center, uh, might be running for mayor. Of Taipei. <laughs> so until uh, Chen Jong makes a final decision on that, which hopefully will be soon so this doesn't play out longer, it, it, again, it seems that political calculation is also a, a very important part, not, not just the political risk of, of making this decision, but very specifically, the electoral chances of one individual now seems to
2: be influencing the decision making process. Yeah, though there is some uh, skepticism regarding that idea in the sense that if the COVID situation takes a downturn and then Chen gets blamed, that would hurt his electoral chances. And so having him as the type A mayoral candidate for the DPP then is a risk. It's very linked to his COVID record. Uh, as for Chen's own response to this, when he was asked by media, who said, well, I was most popular in the fourth grade, actually.
0: But do you think he really wants to run for office, Ross?
1: I don't think he does. But to, to be fair to Minister Chen, um, he's a team player right and, and uh he clearly gets along well politically say with with party central he clearly gets along with with the other uh, team members who who have some re- responsibility for covid notwithstanding like i said he is the key man but obviously he has to interact with uh, you know, the the premier su jun chang presidential office and President's Act. And so as far as we know, you know he's, he's very much a team player. He's very respected. Generally, the public seems uh, to like him. Uh, th- there's an obvious lack of enthusiasm on his side uh, to run for mayor. We could see that in the responses he gives or just his, his facial expression when he's asked about this and also uh, the lack of an announcement up to now. And and. Uh, his lack of experience with electoral politics. Uh, uh, He could take inspiration from the the incumbent mayor who was a doctor (laughs) who had no experience in electoral politics and uh, won won the Taipei mayoralty the first time he ran for office. So there's certainly precedent there. Uh, So, but, but sorry to be so long winded Gavin, but uh, Mm. I don't think the enthusiasm is there. The fire is not there. Uh, But, He's a team player, and if he
2: is asked to do it, I think he'll do it.
0: Brian, do you think he'll do it? If he's asked, or is he going say, no, I'm going to go back to my job?
2: It's a good question. I mean, I think the question is if the DPP will want to run him. But there's a question of then who is the type mayor mayoral candidate. I mean, there seems to be a vacuum and a lack of people that seem like a good fit for that position. And it's a question who the KMT or the TPP or whoever would be running for type mayor as well. So this has to come up soon because elections are coming soon and everyone's back on the campaign trail now. So. And, of
0: course, the health minister could still be busy.
2: Doing right. other things, exactly. theoretically. So there's yeah. that, and that would create controversy as well if he's seen as taking time off from his position as health minister to go campaign and, and that sort of thing. Some of the backlash against, let's say, Han uh, and Kaohsiung.
0: Anyway, before we go this week, Lee Wen-Yi made history on Wednesday in Beijing after competing in the Alpine Skiing Women's Slalom event at the Winter Games, making her the first ever female Olympian from Taiwan to take part in the event. However, Li's presence in the Chinese capital has been somewhat overshadowed by events on the piste in China as Taiwan's four Winter Games athletes are competing there. Now, speed skater Huang Yuting raised some iry feelings here after she posted a video on social media of herself wearing a Chinese national team skin suit. Huang removed the video and posted a response to the controversy saying sports is sports. And she went on to say that in the world of sports, we don't have different nationalities and are all good friends when away from the competitive stage and she did not wish to take attention away on the other things that people find important. Now, the sports administration said that Huang, well, she didn't show enough awareness of the cross-strait political situation before she did it, but she did apologise. Now, members of the Taiwan Republic office, well, they refused to accept any talk of an apology or an explanation as to why Huang did it, and they went to the offices of the sports administration earlier this week and threw exit images of the speed skater. Now, prior to that, former KMT chairwoman Hong Shouju sparked controversy after popping off to Beijing to attend the opening ceremony of the Winter Games. And taken to Facebook, Huang voiced her joy at having been invited to the ceremony and said that the spirit of the Olympic Games is solidarity, peace and friendship. So Ross, a skin suit and a former KMT chairwoman there.
1: Uh, exchanging mementos is a tradition of Olympic athletes. Even if uh, this allegedly occurred prior to arrival in Beijing, occurred uh, may, may have occurred training center prior to to the Olympics and arriving in Beijing, uh, but I- I exchanging uh, lapel pins, jerseys, uh, th- this is pretty common uh, with with athletes, especially at international sporting events, including the Olympics. It's common with fans as well. Fans are famous for exchanging trading lapel pins or or other um, indicia of their national team. So that in and of itself is... uh, uh, I, I think it's it's kind of hard to to fault her it, it was funny when, when people started uh, finding older evidence of uh, her past support for president Tsai uh, attending campaign events uh, to show that uh, her political views might actually be more Pro uh, pro independence or pro DPP or pro President Tsai, and then people say, "Oh, but her father does a lot of business in China." Uh, it's just the typical complexities of, of business and uh, and cultural or sport in this case, sport activities involving Taiwan and, and China. Uh, there there was a Gaosyong city councilor who posted something on Facebook saying the athlete should have gotten some education about this uh, pre departure. Uh, which I publicly responded to because uh, who would do that? It's clearly not not the sports administration's expertise to lecture uh, athletes before they go to international sports events about the political sensitivity. So you'd have to bring in the the correct agency, whether that's the Mainland Affairs Council or the National Security Bureau. And what are you going to tell them? Uh, don't 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 take a photo with a, a PRC jersey. Don't wave a PRC flag. Um, don't, don't even smile at them. Where's the where's the limit? Uh, by comparison, I, I did see a news story that uh, referred to a Ukraine athlete. And apparently they did have some kind of lecture or discussion pre departure about how to interact with with Russian athletes so the the concept of of training the athletes uh, or giving them a lecture about how not to be used as part of some uh, united front tactic uh, i guess the concept is not necessarily bad but uh, which obviously we need to be done in in a tactically yep because of course you go. It,
0: it does sound rather a draconian move to be lecturing people, Brian, about how to act when you go to that country.
2: Mm. Yeah, and so it's one of those questions. I think it is just the fact that there are pan-blue political views in Taiwan, and so perhaps then you have athletes that go to China or any other country that might have those pan-blue political views. And I think that whenever it comes to politics and sports and the Olympics, although things are supposed to be quote-unquote apolitical, what actually happens is politics enters the picture, and that's the case here. Uh, I think Huang didn't do a good job in terms of PR management, for example, because she did post an Instagram story saying, well, a haters hater is going to hate and hate, 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 which is a Taylor Swift lurk. And then she had a post thanking Premier Su Jun Chang and President Tsai Ing-wen that was viewed as inauthentic by her detractors. And so I think the better move might have just been stay quiet and avoid that. Uh, but then the, this controversy, I think, particularly uh, regarding a sensitivity, regarding Chinese Taipei and representations of Taiwan in the international stage, etc., it's always a fraught minefield. And so this issue was going to come up in some way, and it, it ended up being this, this time around.
0: So basically she was damned if she didn't, damned if she didn't, Brian.
2: Uh, I guess that is the sense. Um, I think just after some, an incident like that, that touches on the sensitivity. So I do think athletes uh, sometimes do have to be careful about managing PR, and they should be aware of this ahead of time. But then far be it from a sports administration to basically dictate what athletes' political views are.
0: I mean, Russ, maybe if she draped the skin suit over her shoulders, would that have been less controversial here?
1: Yeah, I have to disagree, though, with something Brian just said about dictating political views, because this is not really about dictating the political views. And for all we know, the the athletes, whether it's Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, uh, baseball teams, uh, the women's soccer team, which was just playing in an overseas tournament, for all we know, the athletes couldn't care less about politics. So the issue here is just uh, how do you interact with someone from... Uh, another team who actually happens to come from a country that's threatening to invade you. Uh, So for people who don't care about politics, you're still saying, well, we need to train you on how to interact with that person, right? Uh, So as you said, Gavin, what's a tactful way to to go about doing that? Uh, But uh, where, where do you draw the line? You're going to say, well, don't don't drape the, don't wear the uniform that's gifted to you. Don't drape it over your shoulders. To answer your question. Oh, and by the way, at the end of that 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 the the the, the sporting event, you know, don't don't let don't accept a shoulder pat. You know, if you come in second and they come in third or they come in first and you come in second they come over and pat you on the shoulder no no no, you better brush that away because the photo op will look terrible for taiwan oh and and heaven forbid don't let them you know smack you on the butt as athletes tend to do right uh, so what do what are you get to tell them like so if you see the chinese athlete coming to pat you on the shoulder or pat you on the tush run away run away <laughs>
0: Brian, maybe she should have given the Chinese speed skater a skin suit and they could have exchanged skin suits and had a picture taken of them both wearing their respective territories or countries skin suits.
2: Uh, Yeah, that could happen. It potentially even did occur that uh, she gave her skin suit to the Chinese athlete, but then a certain, you know, the Chinese athlete would never post a picture of themselves wearing that skin suit on social media. I think that's a pretty way to get pulled out of the competition and then potentially not appear again in public.
1: Which did, but, sorry, I'm going to disagree with that, only because it would have been a Chinese Taipei one. And from the Chinese perspective, it's like confirming <laughs> well, that, well, I that I think it's, it's not a country, are, it, it's just a region. It's called Chinese yeah. Taipei. I, I actually well, think the, they would like that. I think would, like that that would still it, not make a distinction. It they would just it be plays, like, oh, it's
2: still Taiwan. It plays to their strength. Right? Which
0: basically would be even more reason to show that the Taiwanese athlete is more open to the world than the Chinese athletes.
2: I mean, I, I think it could be that. I mean, Taiwan oftentimes regarding these kind of things will try to take the high moral ground or what it perceives as the high moral ground. Uh, it's interesting because I do think there is precedent for Taiwanese athletes interacting with Chinese athletes in a friendly manner that is not taking it as affecting these issues, but not necessarily in this case.
1: Well, again, it goes back to the question of where are you going to draw the line? What are you going to tell the athletes if, mm. if you give them the, the quote unquote
2: education or training? So I think the, the, other, the other issue that is interesting is that a sports administration and sporting bodies in Taiwan are perceived as being pro or more pro-China in some sense or more pan blue going back to their histories with the KMT and that these were sinecure positions for officials and so forth. And so this has been actually an issue in the past few years regarding sporting reform. So, for example, even Tsai would signal that she's in support of reform of these bodies as part of election campaigning. Uh, given this kind of political tension between, you know, let's say, pan-green young people and what they view as pan-blue institutions. I, I think the issue with the sporting uh, sports administration or various sports bodies in Taiwan is not so much that
1: they're blue or green, although they are places to give out jobs to old friends. And believe me, Brian, there are plenty of DPP people who have been parachuted into these organizations over, mm, over recent years. Uh, but the bigger issue for the sports administration or sports bodies in Taiwan is simply incompetence and corruption
0: and that's where we'll leave it here this week with Incompetence and Corruption by Ross Feingold on Taiwan <laughs> This Week and I've been joined in the studio today by Brian Hugh, Good night, and by Ross Feingold have a great weekend, and thanks for tuning into this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me Gavin Phipps and don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week Podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows